just going to start with a story that I was just reminded of this week. Of um, it's a story that's always been in the family um, about our heritage and um, and the auntie that told me the stories on a on a deathbed. And so uh, uh, you know, when someone's on their deathbed, you kind of think about all the things that how they influenced you and the conversations they had and. And I remember this story that she she told me, and I have mentioned it before, um, about um, my heritage and the story of uh, a genocide that I guess you know fits into our family history. My, for those that don't know, my mother is an Armenian woman. She's Armenian, you know, so it's the uh, that's probably the western side of where Russia is, between Russia and Turkey, and um, and she talks a story about how in um, World War Two, there was a horrific genocide, and it was kind of covered up by um, the goings on of World War, so World War One, when there was a genocide, and 1.5 million Armenians were, you know, were slaughtered, you know, in in Turkey as the Turkish were um, cleansing themselves of the Armenians. And um, my my auntie was telling the story, and uh, my mother helps me to remember it about. Um, how that uh, the Turks used to take the Armenians on what they called uh, death marches, and they would um, and they would walk them for days and weeks into the Syrian desert, and uh, and they'd walk them in like you know probably packs of uh, 500 to 1,000, and uh, they would promise them water just over the ridge, and then they would, the Turkish soldiers would double back and they would promise them that water after you know talking days without water. And they would all rush forward, and and those at the front realised that it, that it was a cliff. It actually wasn't water; it was just a cliff face. But all the others from behind would rush forward in the hope of water and cause everyone to go over the the cliff face. And that's how they would uh, just kind of really clean up a lot of people at uh, at one time. And um, my mother tells a story of um, how the uh, their family had a had a decent landhold, and they were farmers. And uh, this one morning, when all the back in those days, back in the um, you know uh, back in a hundred odd years ago, I guess everyone lived a lot more together in a big farmhouse. There would be families living together, and um, and all the men of the house would kind of get wake up early in the morning and have their coffee and their breakfast or whatever, and they'd get they'd prepare their day and they go out to the fields to work and. And uh, the ladies told the story about this one morning when the men uh, got news of the Turks being on their property or or threatening to come onto their property, and the men of the uh, you know around the, the the family tables you know picked up their arms and went to meet the Turks. And there was a huge argument in the, in the family you know uh, table about uh, the the women not wanting the men to go out to do that, and uh, the men saying, "What choice do we have?" We have no other choice but to go and to face them. And uh, that was the last they saw of the men. They lost all the men that day. And, and within uh, in a couple of days, uh, my great-grandmother was on one of these death marches uh, with my grandfather, nine-month-old grandfather, and, and she was only 22 years old herself. And so we kind of think about we live in a pretty nice nation and uh, it's good to be on an island at times. Uh, away from there, at least you can see people coming. You got, you got a little bit of notice, but uh, but uh, for those that are 22 years old, it's amazing what um, what life can throw up at you. A new mother, a nine-month-old, and uh, lost her husband, uh, you know, days before, 
and now on this on this death march, you know, uh, through uh, you know the Syrian and desert. But uh, it's a it's a it's a funny thing how it kind of all worked out was because I had some kind of uh, savings. Um, my uh, my great grandmother was able to pay her way out of to freedom, and uh, she had three gold coins that she strapped to her waist and she covered it with her clothes and and uh, made arrangements for a person to meet her at a particular time in the middle of the night um, as the as the uh, the march you know, that went through that area and in the cover of darkness she was able to escape to pay her money. And this person, like, like I guess a mercenary, was able to take her to a safe place and she ended up settling in Syria and uh, marrying a Syrian and having many children with him and eventually uh, my mother was born, um, sorry, my mother was born, yes, uh, from that and here I am kind of today. And you kind of think, uh, how far can a person get in a hundred years? That my heritage, we're only talking just over a hundred years ago, 102, 103 years ago, uh, you know, I probably would have been in, in uh, Armenia or in Turkey. And you kind of, uh, just thinking about the lost tribes of Israel and where are they all? And, in, in, you know, uh, in 100 years, that's where how far a person's heritage can change and move. And uh, But that's not really the thought for today. But uh, I guess the thought is that um, we are all born into this death march. We are all born into this death march. Um, from uh, as long as sin is upon us, uh, as much as we feel that this march is uh, nice blue skies and and the apparent you know uh, apparent freedom around us, yet the end is death. And the scriptures say that the Bible says all have sinned, and it says that none are righteous, no, not one. And it says that the wages of sin, the reward for sin, is death. And so unless someone would pay to remove our sin unless someone would pay the price, uh, then sin remains upon us and we remain on this on this death march. Um, and so uh, regardless of where we kind of come from, and, and look, my life's been pretty pretty uh, cruisy compared to that, but I guess we all have to really own our freedom for in, in, in our own little way of that. Like, my life could have been very, very different. And I guess for those that have been brought up in this church, and maybe you feel kind of similar to me in, in that respect, is that uh, we've only really known this incredible freedom of the church and uh, and this liberty of the church and this safe place of the church. But uh, we always need, to, always need to go back and to see who paid the price. And, and I guess and as we go out into the world and as we preach the gospel, um, we actually meet other people that are on that death march. And we get, and we get ourselves a contrast of... Um, what did my grandmother look like? What did my father or mother who came to the Lord, who were on this death march, what were they experiencing as I go out and I preach the gospel to the unsaved and I get involved in their lives and get involved in their struggles and I get an understanding of what it is like to walk on a death march to, uh, to the end. In Luke 9 verse 59, it's, maybe I'll, I'll just read it out here. It says, and this is the Lord saying, and he said, un, he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and to bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go and preach the kingdom of God. And so the Lord is saying here that uh, in the way to build your experience, to build your appreciation of uh, you know what it looks like on the outside, what it looks like to be unsaved, and the Lord saying, Well, go out and to preach the gospel. 
go and tell people about God's awesome plan and to see in a, the despair that is, I guess, beyond the, these walls here. Now, of course, we, it's, a, it's obvious where I'm going to head with this, that Christ fought the greatest battle for us. And the greatest battle that we faced in our life was this thing called death, that none of us can cheat. But Christ went ahead of us. He is the first fruits that died and was uh, in the grave, and then he was resurrected from the dead, and he overcame death by his power. And we now fall into that, we've been gifted, this incredible overcoming power. Now that Christ is alive, he is no longer dead, it is he that will raise us up on that final day. I'm just going to read a few scriptures here about this, this topic here. In Hebrews 2 verse 15, if you've got quick fingers you can go with me, it says in verse, uh, actually verse 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself, Jesus, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power over death, and that is the devil. Verse 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were always that, um, all, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, it reads this, buried with him in baptism, wherein uh, also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, had he quickened together with him, having forgiven you your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, um, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them um, in it. And in Amplified, verse 15, it says, he made a public example of them, exhibiting them as captives in his triumphal procession, having triumphed over them through the cross. And so the Lord is, in a, I'm not going to say throw it back in their face, but the Lord is actually taking those that led us captive and putting them out the front and, and, and in his procession, of the triumphal procession, he is almost saying, see, these are the ones that held you captive and now we have got them. We have, you know, we've got them captive. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. It says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. In the same chapter, verse 55, it says, O death, where is thy sting, O grave, where is thy victory? And it says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the last one here I want to read is in Romans 8, verse 37. In verse, actually 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. It says, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And that is the key we want to get out of that. We are more than conquerors. Um, we are no longer on a death march, but we have been freed. A price has been paid for us. Um, and, the, and the greatest battle has God won for us. As if I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so now we are, we've almost, you know, the Lord has taken on the greatest battle in our life and he has become triumphant over that. And we are now walking in this procession. But we must continue to walk on. 
The big battle is over. Death is the big one. Who has ever overcome death but the Lord Jesus Christ? And who is watching over our, our lives is the Lord. And so the Lord kind of, the Lord came down to earth and he took on the form of a man that he would understand man, that the story would be believable, that the story would incite faith in a person to win our hearts and that he would have influence over us, that uh, we would, you know, just be in awe of uh, what he's achieved for us. And as we, and as we go out and as we, uh, uh, like we're saying, preach the gospel. And as we go out to the world, the, the Lord wants to teach us about how there is still a battle raging in the world. There are still people on that same march that you were saved uh, from. So uh, I'm going to just go through the story of Gideon a little bit because there's, uh, if ever in doubt about great battles and great victories and, and, and attitudes uh, through, this, through a battle, uh, Gideon is a is a great story to kind of uh, to go through. So um, the story of Gideon is in uh, Book of Judges in chapter six. We we'll, we'll just start there. So even though the, the greatest victory has now been won and we are now in this procession, yet we still, you know, um, we fight against principalities and powers and corruption in high places and and the people that uh, and I guess we've got nobody shaking our gate or nobody throwing stones through our window. But there is a battle that is far more subtle than that. The battle that just kind of tells us to slow down and slow down and take it easy, don't burn yourself out. How are you feeling? You know, think deeper. You're feeling, can you see anything that's, you know, you're not feeling too good about? And that's the world that we kind of live in. And we, we compare ourselves with the, we almost get told what we should wear and what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. But the Lord, He's saying that I've called you out of all of that and not to make your life that, that battle. And so we have to, through it all, and all through the influence of uh, people trying to slow us down and, and others trying to distract us and others trying to change our standard. Um, and when I talk about the standard, I'm not so much talking about the church, but us personally, about us in, individually, about our stand with the Lord. Um, that is the great battle. Nobody's got a bulldozer at the front of our place and threatening to run over our place. But uh, there's, there's a greater thing to lose than your house at stake. And uh, that's your soul. And the Lord has won the battle for us, but we must continue to fight these smaller battles and be there on that, on that final day. I'm just going to go through this, this story here and see what we can get out of it as we, as we read through it. So in, in Judges 6 and verse 1, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made them dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. So uh, they were in a bad place, living in, in holes in the side of a mountain. And that's what, that was their, um, their situation. And it was, and so it was when Israel had sown that the Midians came up and the Malachites and the children of the east. Even they came up against him, and they, and they encamped against him and destroyed the increase of the earth till they came unto Gaza, and it says, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. And so these were, these Midianites were a pest. You know, they would come through and they would just destroy the fruit of the land, the vegetation at, at the, you know, at the time of harvest, they would go through and destroy things. They would, I don't know what they did with their sheep or oxen, but it says they left no sustenance for Israel. 
whether they slaughtered them, whether they stole them. But you can imagine, um, you know, the children of Israel, you know, absolutely impoverished. And it says that in verse 5, and they, and they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. This is the Midianites. They came as grasshoppers for multitude. What a description. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered um, into the land to destroy it. And so uh, you get this kind of feeling that you know, this, they, they, the multitude was just like grasshoppers. It was pointless even fighting them. There was that many of them. And such was the situation of Israel. And verse 6, And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And that is, and that is what we do in our, in, our, in our battles, that we cry unto the Lord. We have this incredible situation of, uh, of written down here, without increase, no future, without identity, living in caves, no sustenance, no possession, oppressed, impoverished, but they cried unto the Lord. And that's what made the difference. And the, and the Lord, of course, you know, uh, came to their help. Naturally and spiritually bankrupt, this was their situation. And for a lot of us here, that was our situation. That we were spiritually bankrupt, naturally bankrupt. No hope naturally, absolutely no hope spiritually. Didn't even know how to spell it. And, uh, but the difference is, is that we cried unto the Lord. And we learned something about the Lord that day that we cried unto him. And we heard his answer, that the Lord was always there for us as he was here, the children of Israel. We keep reading on verse 7. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites and because of the oppression they were, they were feeling, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel. He sent deliverance as he did for us. And in verse 11, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, uh, which is in Orpah, um, and that pertained unto Joash the, the Aborizonite, the Aborizonite, Abra, Abra, maybe correct me afterwards, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And so we, we get introduced to this man called Gideon, and maybe the first time we kind of meet him here, he's definitely no hero. He's actually hiding, he's threshing wheat, and he's, he's by the, wheat, the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So he's no King David. Maybe we get that as a bit of a, to kind of set the scene for who Gideon is. Gideon is no King David. He is a, he's a, uh, a young man that is just trying to get by in his life and trying to make the best of a bad situation. And I love this, this part how it says that he sat under an oak tree. The angel of the Lord sat under the oak tree. And, and just going through, and maybe when we're going through, like, you know, how do I fight my battles with the Lord? What the actual, you know, the tree in the Bible, and whether it means this, but there seems to be a lot of honest things done under trees in the Bible when you go through the, all the stories of the Bible. And maybe this is one thing that was on Gideon's side, was his honesty about where he was and what his situation was. And when you look at the, you know, look into the scriptures of the Bible, you think about Elijah who sat under an oak and he was being chased out by uh, Jezebel and he had a very honest moment there by himself uh, as he cried to himself about his situation and that was under an oak tree. And you think about uh, Nathaniel in the book of John and the Lord saying, you know, when you're under the, under the, in the tree, I saw you. And, and the Lord described Nathaniel as a man without guile, a man full of honesty, an honest heart. And so maybe um, 
part of the, the fighting of the battle, the fighting uh, of what we're in the principalities and powers and is about being honest with ourselves. And maybe uh, it's a time for us to be under the tree like Gideon to kind of be honest about where, what is my situation and uh, how has this latest chapter in our in world history affected me? And have I changed as a person? Have I changed the way that I worship the Lord? Am I um, as bold as I once was? Um, am I making uh, excuses for myself? Um, and so uh, in fighting our battles, um, there needs to be a level of honesty about where we are now and what's changed uh, to keep us safe. And, and in verse 12, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared unto him, that's Gideon, and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. The angel is good and the Lord is good. Here is Gideon hiding, threshing out wheat, and the angel comes and says, The Lord is with thee, the mighty man of valor. In the Hebrew, it means virtuous, mighty, powerful, uh, full of strength, strong, trained, valiant, worthy. And so maybe uh, Gideon didn't feel that way, but this is the way that God deals with us in fighting our battles for us. Is he, he talks us up. He strengthens us. And then it says, verse 13, you know, Gideon comes back to, to the Lord after that, and Gideon said unto him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then has all this befallen us? And where be all the miracles which our fathers told us, saying, God, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us under the hands of the Midianites. He's not exactly Mr. Positive. He's not uh, the one that's, uh, you know, I guess his situation has caused him to be that way. But what we're going to get out of this is the way that the Lord answers him. And uh, the Lord didn't say, you hopeless Gideon, what are you, what are you, th- what are you talking about? That? You know, how disrespectful. But the Lord comes back to Gideon and says, the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy mind, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? So the Lord doesn't buy into this negativity. The Lord is there to pick us up to strengthen us. The Lord has put promise within us to make us strong. And the Lord's patient with us. Even if you look, even in verse 15, we go back to Gideon, and in my notes here, I've got it red, green, red, green. We go back to Gideon, and he said to him, O oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am least in my father's house. The family is hopeless, and I'm the most hopeless of the hopeless family. How am I going to fight this battle for Israel? In verse 16, the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And I guess the point out of fighting our battles is, are we still, it's not the right word, but it's only way I hear, are we still, are we still encourageable? Can the Lord, does the Lord still have influence? to kind of throw a promise at us and strengthen us, to say, no, I can do better than this. I can walk stronger than this. I can see more than this. I can be more effective than what I'm, what I'm being. Does the Lord still have uh, that influence over our heart and our mind? Can, you know, can he still make our heart flutter? Can the scriptures still kind of uh, you know, push us into doing something in faith that we didn't even think was you know, possible in our, in our, before we even come to a meeting like this or before we sat down to read the scriptures? Can uh, the Lord still you know, shift and move us? And, and that's what the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to be um, 
you know, influenced by his word, influenced by this incredible spirit he's placed within us, the mind of Christ. What more could he give us than the mind of Christ? And so the Lord is saying here, are you still encourageable, you know? He wants to fill us with belief and confidence and hope and strength. You know, he says here, you know, uh, the mighty man of valor. The Lord calls us mighty men and women of valor, full of strength, uh, full of understanding, full of faith. And then we go into verse 17. And, and this, little, this little part here, how the Lord is patient with us. You know, we said that uh, Gideon is no King David. Gideon is just a regular guy. King David was a bit of a madman. He was, he was very high and very low. But Gideon just seems to kind of just be the ordinary brother or sister that just wants to, one foot in front of the other, overcome battle by battle, rejoice in the Lord, see, you know, see growth from, you know, month to month, from year to year, build our testimonies, build our experience. Um, be, you know, and be an encouragement to each other. And, and you see how the Lord deals patiently here with Gideon. In verse 17, he said unto him, If I have found grace in thy sight, so the Gideon is starting to turn with the Lord. He said, Then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Give me an evidence. And a bit like, uh, what Frank has said in her testimony. Give me an evidence that, uh, you know, God is in this. He says, Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, And I will tarry until I come again. So we'll wait for Gideon to bring whatever he wants back. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and an unleavened cakes, and an ephah of flour, the flesh he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and brought it out unto him under the oak, and presented it. And the angel of the Lord and the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and lay them upon this rock, and pour out the broth, and he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of his staff that was in his hand, and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and there arose up fire out of the rock, and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his side. So who is our rock, and what is our fire? Where do we build our reverence? On the Lord. The Lord is the same yesterday, today and forever. He doesn't change. The rock is Jesus Christ and the fire is the fire of the Holy Ghost. This is our evidence. In the days of Gideon, uh, the angel burnt the offering. And uh, in the same sense as we bring our offering, you know, the, the scriptures tell us that to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God, holy, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. So as we put our, our offering upon the rock, the Lord answers with fire. And that is the evidence that he gave Gideon, and this is the evidence he has given us, that we must continue on with these battles. And, and, and don't get me wrong, the battles are not you know, uh, debilitating, but the battles need to be dealt with so that we can build our experience and our love and appreciation and, uh, and, and understand what is the height and depth and breadth of the Lord. What can the Lord do? Take the Lord to the battle and see what the Lord can do for you. And so the evidence is there to strengthen Gideon and we have been given the same evidence to fight our battles. Fill the Holy Ghost, speak in other tongues. We get, we get so used to it. We get so accustomed to saying it. You know, repentance, baptism of the Holy Ghost. But it is remarkable 
that you could tell a story to a person in the middle of nowhere, even without the word of God, you could tell them the story of Jesus Christ, lay your hand upon them and say, if this is the God of the Bible, if this is the God, the true God, he will answer. He will give you evidence. And that evidence will never leave you. And they will receive the Holy Spirit. And we will know it, for we will hear them speak in tongues. And so the word of God and the strength of God can never be stopped. And God has gone forth and he has won the battles for us. And so uh, Gideon was no King David, but uh, the Lord uh, the Lord loved him, the Lord used him, and the Lord was with him. And I like to kind of think that we are the Gideons of, uh, of the Bible. We are just the ordinary faithful, you know, brothers and sisters that come here and We've given up our life to live the way that the Lord wants us to live. And, uh, and the Lord always encourages us not to live in two camps. You're either an Israelite or you're a Midianite. You can't be both. You're either for me or you're against me. You can't have both. And I, uh, I always like to say that you know, some might say, well, I'm the exception. And the Bible would say there are no exceptions. There are no exceptions. We must make a, a decision about how we fight our battles. Okay, verse 24. I'll quickly read it. And then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Um, unto this that is yet in um, Ophrah of, the, that, of that place again, of the, that tribe. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down. Now we're starting to see a Gideon that's starting to uh, build up his faith in the Lord. He's starting to see some evidence and he's, uh, he's starting to push back. He's got some conviction here. And the grove was cut down, that, that was by it, this is in verse 28. And the second bullet was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who has done this? Who has cast down the altar of Baal? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Josiah, um, had done this thing. And then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die, because he has cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. He burned it there. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? Um, will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He, that he will plead for him. Let him be put to death whilst it's yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. So what he's kind of saying is that if he's a true god, let him defend himself. Let him answer for himself, is what his father was saying. Therefore, on that day they called him Jerobal, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he had thrown down his altars. And then the Midianites and the Malachites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the, in the valley of Jezreel. And so, in fighting our battles, and what I get out of this is that, you know, we've got a. One thing that was great about, uh, you know, um, Gideon was he always asked the Lord for evidence. And um, he was never uh, he was never a real trailblazer, but uh, he was he was ready for the answer, and he was ready to move with faith from the answer that he received. When it came to like, presenting his offering, and the angel burnt it uh, with fire, immediately he went towards uh, dealing with the you know the uh, the altar of Baal. 
And so he was a, a faithful servant, an honest man that asked the Lord for an answer and then actioned the answer that he got. And even in this next part, when he goes into the battle, he asks the Lord about the fleece, to put the dew upon the fleece but not upon the ground, and then, and then vice versa. And he waited for the answer, he got the answer, and then he actioned the answer. He, and at times we can be a bit funny like that. Lord, give me an answer and make it my answer. And then I'll go and do it. But that's not how we fight the battles of the Lord. And the Gideon is a great example as to, okay, the Lord says, I'll give you evidence, I'll give you an answer. Now have the faith to go and do what I've, what I've uh, revealed to you. And it's very different for us walking with God and filled with the Holy Ghost, His Spirit, the mind of Christ living within us. We already know the answer. It's already inbuilt in us. If we would quieten down from our talking for a moment and consider the Lord in, as we deliberate as to which way we should go, the answer comes. And I know that because I have the same Spirit that lives in me that lives in you. And that's how it happens for me is that I actually know the answer. But uh, the Lord is saying, okay, so well, now that i reveal the answer to you, have you got the faith to carry out the answer that I've given you? And, uh, and so the, in fighting our battles is a big part of trusting in God and trusting in your calling and, um, and beginning to be bold, beginning to be bold. Uh, about things. So this is a, a very different man that was very negative and very kind of, uh, I am, you know, what happened to, I'm least, you know, I'm a part of, of the poorest house and I'm least within the poorest house. What happened to that man? He's long gone because he asked the Lord for, you know, for confirmation. He, he actioned that confirmation and he grew in faith and he grew in strength and that's how the Lord fought the battles with him. That old man is is far away, and, and I guess we've got to make a decision in ourselves about what you know. There's always something in our life that we need to cast down, and there's always something that we need to build up. That much I know from my experience, having you know flesh and blood, a part of my body, and and this mind that I've got on that there's something I need to work on. There's something I need to do less of, and there's something I need to do more of. And I can choose to suppress that voice and. And kind of say, oh, you know, we, I ticked off Sunday and I ticked off Tuesday or whatever it is. And I kind of, I did my chapter and things, but it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than that. And it's, and, um, and it's more exciting when it is more than that. And it is more kind of, uh, spontaneous when it is more than that. That is not just, it's not just religious. It is just not about, um, and I come and make myself kind of feel better, but really uh, the Lord is, you know, uh, he's got neon lights in my head and he's telling me, don't do that, but go and get involved here. Maybe disassociate with this, maybe get yourself associated with this. And there's neon lights just flashing, but, you know, for some reason we've got this blanket we just like to throw over it and just continue on as it is and just do what we want to do. But that is not... Um, that's not walking with the Lord. And the Lord wants, He wants more for us than that. And that's the biggest thing. The Lord wants more for us than that. He wants to show us great and wonderful things. He wants to show us miracles. He wants to show us life change. He wants to show us people converted, you know, from the death march 
to the, to the March of Liberty. And uh, there's, I'm not too sure if everyone knows Sister Victoria. She's called Sister Victoria now because she uh, came in here last week. Is she here? Is Victoria here? No, she's not. Not here? No. But uh, she, she came in heavy, you know, hearted, heavy-faced. Only last Sunday was her first meeting. Last Sunday. But, uh, you know, she suffered, you know, some, you know, mental, you know, uh, uh, disorder. And so she wasn't feeling a young, young lady. And, uh, but we, we spoke faith into her. We said that our God is a God of miracles, that God can change your circumstance, that, uh, what you're experiencing now will not be forever. If you trust in the Lord, He can change you with anything in your heart and your mind. And she came, uh, on Monday night, she received the Holy Spirit. Now, I wasn't here Tuesday night, but I heard that she may as well change her name from the, from the change of outlook in her. Her face was completely opened up. And, and we know that. We've, we've seen that. And it makes your heart kind of flutter as to, yes, the Lord has won the victory. That the devil had her suppressed with all this, you know, talking negativity into her head and, and telling her about all of her problems. But the Lord came and, you know, brought all the solutions and all, and, and liberated her from, you know, her anguish of what she was uh, going through. And, um, and I've, uh, I've heard that a few times of different people that saw her on Tuesday night. And I was really looking forward to seeing her here today to see what she kind of looks like because she was heavy and she was dark, but not anymore. Now that's worth changing. That's worth building something up. That's worth knocking something over. That's worth making a change. We can't go on for years like this, just uh, not making a change. The Lord wants more for us than that. The Lord wants to show us things, more evidence. He wants to make us strong, ready for that for that final day with Him. And so let's finish off here. We're going to uh, nearly finish a page or so. So let's go and finish off with Gideon here as he goes into this battle. We know, um, I'll, I'll read it out, what happens next. This is about the preparation um, and the acknowledging that Gideon realizes that, now, nah, Lord, I know how you work, that you head up these battles and I go for the ride and I make the right decisions, I make the right stands, but you show you show me the victory in it all. And it says in, verse, in chapter 7 now, verse 1, then Jeroboam, who was Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, um, so that the host of Midianites were on the north side of them, uh, by the hill of Moriah in the valley. And in verse 2, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites unto their hands. It says, Lest Israel vaunt itself against me, saying, And mine own hand had saved me. And so... Um, we know what, what, what this means, that the Lord is actually starting to cull the people so that it is obvious that the Lord is fighting the battle for us. And, and we've been through our battles, and we've seen the victories in our battles, and there's nothing like the Lord bringing victory in an impossible situation. You know, sometimes we kind of like to vaunt ourselves and you know, make ourselves feel good about how wise am I that I sent that email and I put that extra line in there and I kind of backed them into the corner and I gave them no choice and that's how I won the battle. Or I came back with this argument and, and yeah, you may win the battle, but uh, you don't feel that good about winning the battle. There's no procession in the battle. You go back and, you know, your flesh rises up, you feel kind of, yeah, Got that done. 
But then when you lay back in bed at night, you're saying, that's not, that's not who I am. That's not me. I had an unusual dream last night. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but we, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but, um, you your mind could be so stupid in the things it does, and you kind of think, uh, I had a dream, it wasn't too sinister, but for some reason I was running, is this how weird our mind is, and where these thoughts come from, I don't know where they kind of come from, and you know, sometimes every dream you think, what, is that in my head? How can that be in my head? I'm spirit-filled. How can something so ridiculous in my head, but I'll let you in on this one here, last night I had a dream that I was running meetings in a hall, but I actually didn't tell the person that owned the hall that I was doing it. And uh, we'd been running meetings for about five or six weeks or so. It didn't go while because we were pretty established there. And then all of a sudden, the owner of the of the property walks into the into the hall and says, "I can't believe that you would do this without my permission." And you may, I'm sure we've had, hopefully, you've had these dreams where you kind of think, "But I'm in the Lord. What am I doing? What am I doing?" And I've got to think, "I've just ruined my walk." And then you realise that this is just a dream. And you think, "Ah, oh, boy." And uh, and I guess what I'm trying to say out of it is that uh, our mind is so like, it's such a rogue that you can't trust it. You can't kind of let it influence you into your decisions. You've got to be the person that God says you are. The mighty man of valour. That's who you are. Your mind is a rogue. And it says that in Romans, this is, it cannot be subject to the Spirit of God. It's, it's, a, it's its own entity. So you can't just let it like, you know, you can't just release the gate and let the bull out. You've got to keep a rope on it. You've got to kind of, uh, so that's just my mind. I'm in the Lord. I'm filled with God's spirit. I'm the light of the world. I've got to fight against this. I can't, I can't be like, I can't just let it run its course. Anyway, we've lost where we are here. But in verse 3, now therefore go up and proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned on the people 20 and 2,000, there remained 10,000. And so, maybe there is attrition in the battle. Those that are fearful and afraid. But, uh, make sure that's not you. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many, bring them down into the water, and I will try them, um, try thee there, and it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, and this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee, and whosoever I shall say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought them down into the water, we know the story, and the Lord said unto Gideon, every one that laps of the water with his tongue as a dog laps, um, him shall thou set uh, by himself likewise every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to the mouth, were three hundred men, but the rest of the people bowed not upon their knees to drink water. And so the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and deliver you, deliver the Midianites into, into thine hand, and let all the other people go every man unto his place. And so we're just reading verse 12 here. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude and their camels were without number. Nothing had changed. Nothing had changed from what we read in the first couple of verses in chapter 6. The situation was the same. There were like grasshoppers and their camels were everywhere. But Gideon was not the same. That was the difference. They were the same, 
the the uh, you know the the enemy was the same, but Gideon was a different person because he trusted in the Lord, because he approached the Lord honestly, because he and the Lord was patient with him, because he made his stands, that he learnt how to fight the battle with the Lord, and so of course we know how it ends. It's wonderful, you know, deliverance um, with three hundred men, uh, an impossible battle won by the hand of the Lord. And you could imagine how they how they all felt with it. And so, um, just to finish with five points. Number one, that we have been delivered from a death march. We have been delivered. The greatest victory is ours. That uh, we will live forever. And, and Christ has won the victory over death. We're going to remember that shortly. And that we are no longer oppressed. We have overcome through the blood of the Lamb. Number four, there are smaller battles that, ahead of us that we must navigate through and we must learn from stories like Gideon of how to navigate through those. We need to make our stands. We need to cut down and build up and to uh, disassociate with and uh, associate with others. We must make a change. This world is trying to slow us down more and more and more until this once great fire, this great power, be nothing more than a simmering kind of... Uh, wooden in a uh, once what was a bonfire and number five with honesty with faith with obedience the lord will fight our battles on our behalf and what the people said and then